0: What's up guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ podcast. I'm Tyler and here with me as always on the other end of the line is my co-host Curtis. And on today's show, we're going to do what no one in any fan base really wants to do this time of year. Cuz you guys know how it is. Normally this time of year the off season where the where the the 2018 season or whatever season it might be it's just on the horizon. It's kind of a time of year where hope springs eternal for every team. Across the nation, you, you guys know, you hear all the, the same refrains every year. You hear the familiar, we have a chance, this is the year we turn the corner, this is the year we win it all, whatever it might be, that kind of thing. Everything usually looks a lot better on paper for all teams. All those four and five stars, those returning starters, they all look great and it breeds confidence in the offseason. Everything this time of year kind of exists in this th- kind of theoretical sphere. But once the season hits, most fan bases are pretty quickly and pretty rudely most of the time disabused of those notions as they kind of leave the sphere, the theoretical, and into reality. And, and reality often hits pretty hard simply because we all, and I, and I include us in this, we all allow ourselves to get deluded with hopes of grandeur in the offseason. No one wants to ask the tough questions and kind of explore whether their team is really as good as they think they're going to be. So today, Curtis and I are going to do what many fans don't like to do. And really, I don't like to do it all that much either, to be honest with you. We're going to zero in, though, on the biggest questions our team has this year and explore the, the potential deficiencies that may possibly hold us back from repeating as SEC champions. Uh, and after posing the questions, we're going to do our best to answer them with information we have to work off of here on July 12th. So we'll give it our best shot here, but first I do want to remind everyone that uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Glory_UJ. underscore Let me get your thoughts on the show today. What are some of the biggest questions you have for our team entering the 2018 season? Also, I want to make sure everyone knows where to find us out there. You can find us on uh, radio.com, part of the larger VSPORO Internet Radio Network. Find a lot of Georgia content, a lot of national content as well, so check us out there. You can also download the dog Sports Radio app straight to your smartphone. But if you prefer SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, you can find us on all of those platforms as well. If you get a chance, we would greatly appreciate you guys. Give us a quick rating, review, give us some feedback there, and subscribe to the show wherever you prefer to find us. But all right, with all of that out of the way, Kurt, let's go ahead and dig into the show and start getting some of the bigger questions that we have facing this team Entering the 2018 season, and how we're going to do this? I'm going to let Curtis give me his questions. The big question, the five biggest questions he has for this team right now. Uh, start with number five, and then I'm going to kind of respond, try to answer those the best I can. And at the end, I'll kind of throw in some questions I might have if Curtis didn't hit on those through his uh, his first five. So, Kurt, take it away, man. Start with number five. What's the fifth biggest question you have for this team heading into this new season?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is how good are we going to be at stopping the run.
0: I definitely had that on my list, or in, and, and more like to me. The big question is I, because I think like teams get, let's say games like Vanderbilt, Kentucky, those kind of teams. Well, I mean, Benny Stell is pretty good, but against you know your average competition, we'll be pretty good there, right? You feel confident against those type teams?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean. As bad as
0: Florida is, I think their their
1: strength will be running the ball this
0: year. Yeah, I agree. So to and me, like
1: Tech is, especially Tech, when you don't, as we mentioned the last show, when you don't have a reply to go sideline sideline.
0: Yeah, how do you how do you match up in those kind of games? Yeah, so like to me, I think it's how do we stack up stopping the run against the teams that run the ball really well, against the best competition? You know, like when you get in yeah, the SEC like, say title when game, when we
1: have to play Baylor? Would we be able to actually stop their run?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When we play Auburn. Uh, we don't know what the Auburn running game is going to look like this year with no carry on Johnson. He was the MVP of that entire team last year, but when you get against the best of the best, the teams that are really, really effective running the football, are we going to be good enough to stop those teams? Right now on July 12th, I know we still got about a, a month and a half here before the season actually starts, but we're we're getting here real quick. What would you say the answer to that question is? Um
1: I think we will. Um honestly, I think the we're actually going to be decent in stopping the run. You know, we'll miss for a quad, of course, but I don't see a drastic drop-off.
0: Okay, I don't, I, I, I'm don't. with you. I don't see a drastic drop-off. I think you had to define drastic, but I do expect there to be a drop-off in how we defend the run this year, especially early yeah, in the season. Oh, yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, I think we'll drop maybe five spots or something, especially in stopping the, the run. I just don't think it's going to be as extreme um, – like I mean, I th- I still think we're gonna be able to stop the run, and I think that's
0: the biggest, and the most important thing. What gives you that faith? Because obviously um, we lose a guy like Roquan. What gives you the faith that we will actually, at the end of the day, be able to hold up well enough against the run to to do what things we want to do? Roquan was. I mean, we all know how special he was. I think the thing is across the board, we may be
1: a little bit more talented. Um, I think that the one thing I think that's gonna really help us. You know, I think uh, coming into this this time, we're really nervous with defense alive, but I think. Uh, getting Jay Hayes and people like that, I think mean, that's where he's going to really help us in stopping the run.
0: So you think you would posit right now here in the middle of July that we're more talented in the front seven in 2018 than we were in 2017?
1: Um, we'll miss John Atkins, yes, but Trent Thompson, um, I mean, he was a hit or miss.
0: He was up and down. He was his entire career. I don't, I don't want to say he was a non-factor. He was a factor in, in on, on some random plays here and there, but – on a consistent basis, you're right. I mean, people, in, in, I know he hurts us from a depth perspective, but I listen to the offseason, some of these talking heads talk about how much, you know, Georgia loses in the front, losing the front seven early on the defense overall, and they always bring up Trent Thompson as one of those first names at the top of their head. And I'm like, guys, did you actually watch us last year? Trent played, sure, but the, that dude was not a starter for us. I think some people just go back and look at how highly rated he was coming out of high school and just think, okay, you know, well, he was a major player for Georgia. And he wasn't. I mean, he, he definitely played a lot of downs for us, but he wasn't a starter. He wasn't, I would say, I certainly wouldn't say he was a main cog up front, would you? No, not at all. But a linebacker. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. Like I've been concerned about the defensive line. Stay with the defensive line for a second here. I have been. But as we get close to the season, and maybe this is me falling into that trap of, like, Hope Springs Eternal I'm actually feeling better and better about our defensive line because I'm. If you look at the five tech spot, we're we are stacked there. You got guys like Jonathan Ledbetter, David Marshall played a lot of football for us, and Malik Herring comes into a sophomore year. We saw some good solid things from him last year. He's a guy that I think is into a really good player for us. Uh, so I like what we have there at the five tech. And Britton Cox is a guy who might play some five tech for us in certain situations. I like what we have. I like the talent, I like the experience, It's kind of a good solid mixture there. Um, and really, it was the interior, was a tackle spot that I was highly concerned about losing. A guy like John Atkins, who was such a kind of underrated player for us. You know, he's a guy that's not going to get any publicity, but what he did for us freed up all the linebackers. Of Roquan allowed him to be able to run side and side like he was able to do. Uh, kind of freed him up there. Uh, but as I look at it, I, you mentioned a guy in Jay Hayes. I really like as we've gone through this guy in the enemy series throughout the the summer here. I, I've had a chance to watch Notre Dame multiple times. I watched them. I went back and watched our matchup with him. I watched their matchup against LSU. And he's a guy that, that played well in those games. And they had him playing out of position. They had him playing essentially at a 5 tech. I think he's more of an interior three-tech type guy who has the ability to play a little bit outside in certain packages when you need him to. But I'm with you. I think he's a guy that can really step up and fill that Trent Thompson void and maybe even play a little better than what Trent Thompson played for his first couple years. Uh, or at least his three years in Athens. Uh, and Tyler Clark, tell me what you have seen and How good can he be this year?
1: Um, you know, you really saw him turn it up to the middle of the end of last year. And I, um, I think, you know, teams are going to game plan against, him for him, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest things that's going to, you know, maybe slow him down a little. But I think the guy can make a jump. I think the um, biggest thing that's going to help him is his speed and his size type thing.
0: Yeah, I, I think if you go back to the Rose Bowl game, I did the, the 2017 recap show. I did a show on the Rose Bowl. And Tyler Clark, you remember that? I mean, he was essentially unblockable in that game. I mean, they they could they simply could not handle. him. Now Oklahoma's offensive line was solid but not spectacular. But like he made play after play in that game, and they simply could not block that guy on any consistent basis. So i I think he's I think he could be a borderline star for us uh, on the on the defensive line there at the interior defensive tackle position. I'm still somewhat concerned about the zero tech. I don't think we don't have a true zero tech body in the line outside of a true freshman and I don't know if he's going to be ready to play that early and be that kind of player for us. Do you see us trying to, to change the, the system a little bit early on with guys like maybe Daquan Hawkins, Muckle, playing that zero tech? We've heard some talk about uh, John, uh, Julian Rochester potentially filling in that role. Do you see those guys be able to play that role and kind of fill in to some degree for John Atkins and, and play a similar type position, or are we going to have to switch things up defensively? Uh, I think
1: we're going to try to get to the do-it, but we're also – I mean, that's the thing about this defensive staff is they're very creative at finding different ways to be successful.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing I – and that, it's a question for me. I generally don't know what we're going to do defensively. I mean, Obviously, we're going to do a lot of the same things that that Kirby's always done Mel Tire has done traditionally. But I do think we're going to have to adjust our to our personnel a little bit because I, I don't know if we have the I, – I know that we don't have the exact same personnel at the, at the zero attack. We don't have a guy that's that big. That's with the experience in, that John Atkins had for us last year. We don't have a Roquan Smith, an inside linebacker. So there's going to be an adjustment period. I don't know if we have a guy that's as versatile as Lorenzo Carter. I know Walter Grant kind of fills that role to a degree, but he's not Lorenzo Carter from athletics uh, from an athleticism standpoint. He's, he's, he's an athletic guy, but he's not Lorenzo Carter-level athletic. He's just not. I mean, Lorenzo runs a 4 four forty. That's not Walter Grant. Uh, so I'm very curious to see what Kirby and what Mel Tucker and the rest of the defensive staff come up with this year and trying to defend the run and really trying to do anything at all. Because I, th- I do think we're going to have to make some adjustments. And what that looks like, I-, I really can't sit here and say right now. But I do think there's going to be a little bit of a drop off. You know, if you look at the stats last year, we were 20th in the country uh, in total in total rushing defense. We gave 121 yards a game rushing, running the football. Uh, actually, it was, a, it was about 126 yards a game. Uh, we actually were pretty solid when it comes to uh, yards per rush. We weren't quite as effective there as we were in total defense, but we only gave it 3.7 yards per rush last year. It was 31st nationally, so still really good. I would put us – like it makes sense for me – I think it makes sense to say that we would finish somewhere in the top 30 in rush defense. Is that a realistic expectation? Yeah. I don't know if it's top 20 like last year, but I think top 30 – uh, with the bodies that we have returning even if we don't have a guy like Roquan Smith or a guy like John Atkins, I think we have enough talent in a, in some in, a, in pieces that were add to the puzzle guys like Jay Hayes maybe one of the inside linebackers uh the the young guys like Chase like Tindall or, or Quay Walker but I think we have enough there to to at least be a top 30 level defense and I don't know is that good enough for us to is that good enough to put us in the SEC championship conversation and potentially a playoff bid conversation if we're top 30 Dude,
1: just because I don't think any of the teams we play are going to be a powerhouse running attack.
0: You don't, you don't think Auburn's going to be that type team?
1: I mean, they're going to try to be,
0: but... Yeah. I mean, Remains to be before. seen. It's another question. Remains to be seen what they're going to do without Carryon Johnson. Yeah. I
1: mean... There, there's no team. I mean, Tech's good, but I mean, the thing is, you don't truly have teams like we
0: did last year. Well, we Tech's a different teams. animal. Like, the way they run the football, it's all about deception. It's not about just being able to line up and run it down your throat. Yeah, I mean, see,
1: the thing is, we're not facing a better name in Mississippi State during the season like we did last year, who had those dual threat quarterbacks that were really dangerous.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, a South Carolina offense during the season, as good as they look from a passing perspective with a, with a veteran quarterback and two veteran receivers that are really talented guys, like, their running game has been average. And I don't expect it to, to, to take a big jump this year. You look at Missouri. Uh, yeah, they, they, their offense is spectacular. They average over 500 yards a game for two years running now. Led the league in an offense, a total offense for two straight years. But they're more of a, a I would say, a, 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 they're more of a pass-based offense with, with Drew Locke. Now, don't get me wrong. They do try to run the football. They want to keep you off balance. But the running, running is kind of the constraint for them. It's not what they want no. to lean on. So I think you're right. I think that's fair to say. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and move on to your number four question. What do you got?
1: Uh, my number four question is with uh, the graduation of Sony and Chubb. How are our you know new starters in the running back position going to hold up in pass blocking? Because I think that's one of the biggest aspects that's not talked about enough when it comes to being a running back.
0: Interesting. So you're just looking at this from a pass blocking perspective. I I might okay. Let me just ask you this. I agree with you on the pass blocking perspective. But I would I would broaden this question. Like when I was making my list, what I looked at was just simply are we really as loaded in the backfield as most seem to think that we are? Is that a fair question to ask at this point?
1: Yeah it is. You know, I think we're loaded, I just don't know. You, like we've talked about before, it still is, you know, a lot to expect a freshman, especially as you know, Zemir White coming off the ACL injury. I mean, maybe ahead of schedule like a lot of people say he is, but even then, he is a freshman.
0: Yeah, I, I just I, I really want to ask that question. I, maybe it's it's really just me playing devil's advocate, but that's what this show is about. Like, let's let's look at what we don't truly know, what we what we may think that we know, but we really haven't seen a ton of evidence to suggest that's the case. And what everyone's saying right now, what most people in the college ball world, whether you're in the Georgia fan base or just uh, you know nationally looking at at our team, is that you know yeah Georgia loses Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb, and that's going to be hard to replace, but we're not really all that worried about it because. Like we're tailback you. We always have a stable of running backs back there that can get the job done. And you look at a guy like DeAndre Swift, who averaged over seven yards of carry last year, uh, like over four and a half yards after contact, uh, and as kind of the third back last year, and, and brought, we brought him in in certain packages, and he certainly made some plays. We all remember the, the the huge run to kind of seal the game in the SEC title game to kind of just close the door on Auburn there and knock him out. Uh, he had you know, a big play against Florida early in that game, so he had plenty of big plays in the year but do you see him like he's he's going to be thrust into the number 1 role early in this season do you see him being as a sophomore the the caliber running back of a Nick Chubb or a Sony Michel do you see him on that level
1: yeah, because you know he's not as big as people. You know he's not a gigantic guy, but he runs really hard. He has, I think, one thing that's great about him is his balance. I mean, you had Keith Marshall years ago, who was one of the fastest guys on the field, and it got in the open field. He could do dangerous things, but running between tackles, he had terrible balance. And I think that's one thing that makes DeAndre Swift so good is his balance
0: and his feet. I oh his feet his footwork is comparable. Maybe even, I, I think it's certainly comparable to Sony Michelle. Like, who would you say has the superior footwork? Is it Sony? Or was it DeAndre I think, yeah, Swift?
1: Yeah, I mean at, at, when they were both freshmen, I actually probably would
0: go with Swift. I think they're I think I think they're honestly very similar players. I think Sony and DeAndre Swift, you know, DeAndre Swift only for a year, but Sony for for four years on our roster was a guy that everyone like you always want to like with him and Chubb, they always want to say it's Thunder and Lightning, right? Where Chubb is the thunder and then here comes the Michelle with the lightning, he's kind of the scat back, he's the finesse back. And yeah, he could do all that stuff, you get him in space, he make you miss every, I mean Consistently, but I always thought he was shortchanged as a power back. You line Sony Michelle up and run him up the middle; that dude can run with power just as much as Nick Chubb. In fact, I would say last year, at least in one year, I, I think that Sony Michelle made more people miss in the open field and ran over people more more consistently than Nick Chubb did. Like he, I mean, let's not forget—I've said this before in the show—as a true freshman against Tennessee, the dude broke his scapula putting his shoulder down and running over a player. That's the kind of player he is, and I think DeAndre Swift kind of gets pigeonholed into that role, Kind of, I mean, it, largely because he was used as our third down back last year. That's really where he can kind of fill a role and find some time on the field. But I think that DeAndre Swift, when given the opportunity, showed that he could run with power, and he would lower that shoulder. Do you agree with me? Is he the kind of guy that can hold up between the tackles in the running that we want to feature? I think he is. I I do too. And like people think look at him, it's like he's a small guy. No, DeAndre Swift is not small. DeAndre Swift is short, okay? He's five nine. He is short. I will give you that. But the dude is 215 pounds at 5'9. Is that a small guy? No. That is not a small guy. Alright, that is not. I mean, he's a guy that I think can certainly handle the low between the tackles. Uh and, and not to mention at five nine, with that high, that in some ways that can kind of work to your advantage. Think about like Maurice Jones Jr. I'm not saying that's that's who DeAndre Swift is, but think about how, how well how effectively he ran between the tackles, because at that size, you can kinda of get lost in the shuffle, right? Yeah. You kind he can of, kinda of hide behind blockers and squirt out of, of piles and things of that nature. So I think he's going to be a, a really good one, number one back for us. I really do. I think he can, he can certainly play the role he played last year, but I think he can carry the load as the number one guy. But we don't know that. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting. We, we haven't seen that from him, uh, like holding up as number one back consistently. But I think he can do that. But my question is, outside of that, because l- last year, I, I think he's as good as a single back. I think he can be as good as Nick or Sony. But the thing is, we had two of those guys last year. We had Nick and we had Sony. This year we have DeAndre Swift. Out of the other guys we have on the roster, uh, with Zamir White coming as a true freshman, coming off an ACL injury though, uh, with Brian Harrion, with uh, Elijah Holyfield, will one of those guys pick up the slack and be as good of a 1-2 punch in combination with DeAndre Swift as Nick and Sonny were as a 1-2 punch last, the past couple years?
1: I think they will. I think I don't think people are giving uh, Elijah Holyfield enough credit coming into
0: this season. Why do you say that? Because this guy has never carried the load in big time moments. He's all he, he when he got a chance last year in, in in garbage time. He flashed some serious ability, but it was garbage time. So what oh, makes you think? I mean, think? I think the thing we've always said that he got, he
1: just got really behind his freshman year when he got that serious ankle injury, and it really set him behind. And he tried to play catch up. And then last year, I think the coaches kind of sent sent a message too. Yeah, we've got Sony and uh, Nick back, and you just got arrested for marijuana. I,
0: I think you're. I think he's kind of been the victim of circumstances. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I, yeah. It's not like he's not walked into an easy
0: circumstance. I'm a huge Elijah Holyfield fan, and look, I. I will admittedly say that I have not seen a we had, none of us haven't seen a ton of him on the field and really in anything other than garbage time. And now he looked good in garbage time, but I and, and some people kind of just throw away the garbage time and say, ah, you know what, you know, we were killing teams. But most of those moments, those teams still had their starters in. Not not in every game, but a lot of the games they did. Now they might have been beaten down and their will was taken from them. Sure. But it wasn't like he was going up against scrubs every time he got to the field and did those big things. You know, those guys were still playing. And he had scrub offensive linemen, or I shouldn't say scrub, but backup offensive linemen that he was working with. So I'm a big fan of Elijah Holyfield. You're right. Go back to his freshman season. When I came back from the open practice we had two years ago, I said on the show that I thought Elijah Holyfield. Looked the best of all the running backs out there. Now, and that was with Sony not really doing much because he had the ATV injury. He was out. Nick was still working back from injury injury. wasn't getting a ton of a ton of time. But out of Harrion and, and Holyfield, the guys that and Prather Hudson, the guys who were getting a lot of reps in that open practice, I thought Holyfield looked like he was a legit dude. I thought he was going to do big things for us this year. Right? In fact, I thought he might. You know, I was I was kind of like, okay, I came out there breathing a sigh of relief. Okay, we don't know if Sony's be able to play in that first game against North Carolina, but if he doesn't, I feel really good about Elijah Holyfield. But then he gets the ankle injury. Harrion, of course, gets the opportunity to jump ahead of him, makes the most of it in that first game against North Carolina. Didn't really do a ton after that. It had some nice moments, but the really North Carolina game kind of uh, put him on the radar there, and it kept him ahead of Elijah Holyfield when he came back from that ankle injury about midway through the season. And then he gets the marijuana arrest, you're right, going into the 2017 season, which made it tough for him to jump back up, up over Harrion. But when those two guys got opportunities, I still think Holyfield looked like the better back last year. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, yeah, I, I I think so too. But do you really think that Elijah Holyfield? So if we're saying that uh, that maybe DeAndre Swift is more like a a Sony Michelle, do you think Brian Harrigan can be as good as Nick Chubb was last year? I don't think he'll
1: be as good, but I think he'll be comparable.
0: I I honestly ah uh, I mean, okay. So here's how I would answer that question: Nick Chubb of 2014 2015 was better than Elijah Holyfield could ever dream of being, but Nick Chubb post injury. I think I think it's fair to say that Elijah Holyfield, without dealing with any kind of injury like that, is a comparable level talent to Nick Chubb. I know that sounds blasphemous, but what I saw from Nick Chubb in 2016 and 17, now 16 obviously was fresh off that injury, and last year he looked a lot better, he did, he looked a lot better than 17, and there were moments where or he looked a lot better than in 2016, and there were moments where he, he looked like an old school, vintage Nick Chubb. There was a couple moments in the Oklahoma game, in particular in that Rose Bowl game, the SEC title game, there was a moment or two. But down and down out, he was a different back. I don't think he was as good. So I think post-injury Nick Chubb, I, I still, I'm still, i not ready to say that Lash Holyfield is going to be as good as Nick Chubb was post-injury. But I don't think he's that far off. Is that kind of where you are? Yeah. Yeah, and the last one to talk about here with the running backs, Zamir White, like, like, this is the ultimate we don't know. We have truly no idea. We've never seen him take a college snap. His high school film was as good as you're going to see it at the running back position, uh, but he's come off the ACL injury, how serious the injury, how quickly is he going to get back, how, how much is he going to trust the knee? Like, How much do you expect from him in year one?
1: If he's ahead of schedule, like people say, I think you'll see him get some carries. Uh, I think it's similar to how Harry was used his freshman
0: year. I could see him get like and look we don't exactly know where he is with the injury but from everything that we're hearing and from what we saw in spring practice now he didn't really take any live reps or anything but he was doing some some run polished drills kind of what Nick was doing when he was coming back from his injury in 2016 kind of seemed like the, in a similar position there And if that's the case I think he's going to get some snaps game 1 he won't be 100% very unlikely that he'll be 100% but I think it would make sense to get him some snaps in that game to kind of get his legs under and get some confidence and kind of just build on that as the season goes. Do you – like, is there a chance by the end of the year that he kind of assumes that one-two punch role with uh, DeAndre Swift?
1: There's a chance, but I think we're being a little unrealistic also. You can't – I just don't think you can count on that. You also don't know – I mean, what if some Holyfield or Harry have a good season too?
0: Yeah, I just – look, it, I think whatever we get from Zamir White this year is gravy. That's the way I'm looking at it. Like, whatever we get from him is fantastic, but I'm not expecting anything. I think that's the way you have to look at it because you just don't know. There's so many unknowns there. Uh, but I, I think we're going to be good at the right back position. I just – I'm not sure we're going to be – because here's, here's the thing, all right? So we had Nick and Sony as the one-two punch, and then you throw in a guy the caliber DeAndre Swift is the number three guy last year. Okay, I, I feel good about DeAndre Swift matching up at number one. I like that. Holyfield, I think, can be, like we said, comparable at number two. But do we have a guy that's the number three back that's going to be as good as DeAndre Swift for, was for us in that role last year? I think that's where you can see Zamir White come in. I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he'll probably fill that role. Maybe a guy like James Cook. Let's not forget him. I mean, he's got a, a skill set that's kind of comparable to what Swift does uh, in terms of his ability to catch on the backfield and be a playmaker in a variety of different ways out of the backfield. But I just don't know if I, any of those guys this year, especially with, maybe Zamir White if he wasn't injured. But I don't know if, if James Cook or Zamir White, not a hundred percent or Brian Heron are going to be as good in 2018 as, as, a, as a potential number three back as DeAndre Swift was in that role last year. So I, I think our running back group will be a, a slight, small little notch below what we were in 18 as a group, or in, as as we were in 17 as a group, I should say. But I don't think it'll be a dramatic drop-off. Is that reasonable? Yeah, that's probably where I'd be, too. Okay. All right, what's your third question here as we head into 2018? My third question is who's going to be uh,
1: defensive back, or the quarterback opposite DeAndre Baker.
0: Okay, <laughs> cornerback. All right, that's a huge question because let's be real. it Whoever plays that role I is going to be –
1: we saw how it cost us last year in big games.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just like we, we mentioned this on the, the, the show earlier this week. When guys like Malcolm Parrish came to the game, you almost knew where the ball was going. You knew they were going to target a guy like that. And when you have DeAndre Baker on one corner, as good as he is, are you going to test him consistently? Or would you pick on a younger, less experienced guy opposite him? It just it makes sense, right? Yeah. So I think whoever that is is going to get picked on. Or teams are going to try to pick on them. And hopefully they're good enough to, to disabuse teams of that notion. But they're going to try. They're going to be a target out there, whoever it is that's thrown out there. So if you're looking at that question right now, Curtis, like, and I've talked about this before, who do you think is the guy that is going to step up and ultimately take hold of that position at cornerback opposite DeAndre Baker?
1: I think Tyson Campbell's going to give a big push, him and uh, Tyree
0: McGee. I think those are the two guys to definitely look at first and foremost. And I would throw Mark Webb in the mix as well, although I think Mark Webb fits more inside – at the start position, I think he's just a bigger body, a little more physical that can play. He has more versatility to move inside, which I don't think Campbell is that guy. And I don't. I know McGee's played inside a little bit. I just don't like him in that role. He's, he's an undersized guy. I don't like him in run support consistently in the slot there at the start position. Uh, so it's kind of like a, the, the ultimate question, which we've talked about before in the show as well. you got a little bit more experience with Tyrant McGee, a guy who knows the defense. Kirby trusts him. He's played in some big moments for us. But he's maybe not he, – he, he, He's not the most talented guy in the world. He's a talented guy. Don't get me wrong. But there's a size deficiency there, like there was a Malcolm Parrish. Maybe not to that degree, but there is a size deficiency there. Uh, and then you look at a guy like uh, Tyson Campbell coming in as, as a big-time recruit, five-star, very long, very, uh, very, very fast. I mean, guy runs a ten three hundred meter. His talent athleticism is off the charts, but he lacks the experience. So it's, the question becomes, who fills that role? Who does our defensive staff go with? to start the season. Do you would you say it's a safer bet to expect us to go with McGee at this point because of the experience to start the yeah, season? I actually
1: probably wouldn't be shocked if it wasn't just a start.
0: But how okay let's let's fast forward to week two. And we'll we'll get into this more as we get closer and closer to this game. It's not that far off though. Week two on the road in Columbia, South Carolina against South Carolina Gamecocks with two really good receivers and Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards and a couple other guys that, that can fill the role well, Shy Smith in the slot there, or Trey Smith, some guys that can play. Do you feel confident in Tyreek McGee going up and going out there and matching up against either Brian Edwards or Debo Samuel in man coverage on a consistent basis in that game? I'd say if I was
1: confident, I would.
0: I don't feel confident in that. I don't. I think those those two receivers are really good. And I think that McGee's a good player, but I don't know if he's going to win that matchup on a consistent basis against either one of those guys. Do you?
1: No.
0: I really don't. Now, I, so that's what I'm saying is I think Tyson Campbell, who, again, is another one. We don't know. We're, we're, I'm totally projecting. We don't know. We haven't. All we've seen is what we saw from him in high school, and we see, we see that the, the astronomical numbers he puts up with his athleticism, and they're off the charts. We see all that. I think it, with the length, his athleticism, what you see on tape from him from coming out of high school, now college is a different level, but I think he's more equipped to win those battles one-on-one in man coverage. The question becomes, though, does – by putting him out there on the field that early in the season, that early in his career, does that limit what you can do from a coverage standpoint because he's so young? Do do you think that that's going to be a factor in in what our coaches are thinking?
1: It may very well could.
0: So so I've been on the record saying I would take the talent over the experience because I think talent just trumps – you can do things you just can't do and you just can't teach those things. So would you stick – like if you're Kirby Smart – you're Mel Tucker. Do you go with McGee or a guy like Tyson Campbell? It might be someone else. Maybe it's William Poole. Maybe it's Christmas. I don't know. There's other camps. Maybe it's Amir Speed. But I think I would zero in right now on McGee and and Campbell coming into it. We'll see how it plays out. But if you if it was down to those two, maybe. And it might not. But if say it was. If you're making the call, who do you start in week two against South Carolina? Who do you start week four on the road against against Missouri in Columbia, Missouri?
1: See, I mean, we have to see – I mean, right now it's a – you're just guessing,
0: really. We're, we're guessing. We don't know. But I guess, I guess the question becomes, do you go with the guy that's experienced or the guy who looks to be more talented?
1: I mean, I think we'll find out a lot in fall camp. I mean, Tyson Campbell's yet to practice with
0: this team. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to say. It is, man. And that's like – but that's what I'm getting at. You hear a lot of people on social media – uh, people I talked to that are kind of just expecting Tyson Campbell to, to roll in there at that spot. And I and I've, I and maybe I'm guilty of that, because I talked about how I think he's going to be a starter for us at some point in the season at that cornerback position opposite DeAndre Baker. But I will readily admit that I am completely guessing there, because we have not seen him on the field in college for one snap. He has not practiced one time for the University of Georgia. He has not put on that jersey yet and actually gone there for an official practice. I'm, we're basing that off of, uh, Recruiting hype. I'm basing off the tape that I watched of him, off his off the, the the numbers, the athleticism, the speed, the length, the size, the measurables, all those things. Uh, which all those things he's superior to, to Tyreek McGee. But experience is a factor. But but I would say if if, if if it's a big if, because we don't know, if Campbell is good enough, uh, and if, if he's if he knows enough of the playbook, where our coaches feel comfortable with him, then I I would I would err on the side of talent. But We'll see. Maybe one of the other guys jumps in and, makes it, and this is a moot point. Maybe it's a mere speed. Maybe it's, like I said, a William Poole. Who knows how that could end up. But I think it's a really good question. Because right now we don't know. And that whoever that person ends up being is going to be, uh, I think, certainly a target for those 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 offenses that we're going to play on the road in the first couple of weeks of the season. All right, what do you got at number two here?
1: Uh, number two, I'm going to go with uh, who's going to take over the punting responsibilities.
0: That is a great question. That is a great question. I mean, Ken Nizlik was such an underrated part of our team last year. I mean, that was a big question coming into last year. I mean, Marshall Long gets the injury. We didn't know what was going to happen. If you guys were at G-Day or you watching on TV, you like – now, honestly, Marshall Long, was, he wasn't out there either. He's a guy that's on a scholarship right now at the punting position. But you noticed that we didn't punt the ball well at G-Day. Now, we have the number uh, – one of the uh, depending on what recruiting service you look at, one of the number one, number two kicker in the country coming in, Jake Camarda at Norcross High School – He's a punter and kicker. He can do them both. We've got uh, a, a graduate transfer coming in to also compete for that. I think Landon Stratton is his name coming in to compete for that job. They got Marshall Long who may or may not be coming back from injury. We don't know where what his status is right now. So how do you answer that question, Curtis? Like how do you see that competition playing out? Um,
1: you're hoping that Kamara can come in and be the guy. Realistically, I, mean, I think I think if anything we we're, we're, we're wanting him to come in and take hold of this position.
0: I think he's going to be given every chance. It's kind of like with, it's it's somewhat similar to the Tyson Campbell thing. We don't know when you're talking about true freshmen who have never practiced before. You don't really know. But based off what we what, what we do know of them coming into the program, I think he's going to get every shot. right? I mean, he's going to get a chance. Yeah, I and, agree with that. Yeah, I think he's going to get a chance. And, and look, Kirby's all about open competition. All these guys are going to get a shot. Whether it's Landon Stratton coming in as a graduate transfer. If Marsh Long is healthy, he'll certainly get a shot. We're not going to throw him to the Wolves. But Jake Kamar is going to get a shot too. And if he's as good as advertised, he could be that guy for us. And it's such – like no one wants to talk about punters and kickers. But, dude, you need them. All right? Without them, your team suffers. So think about all the times that Cam Isaac was able to flip the field for us last year and, and change field position. I mean, he's a, he was a big-time player for us, and he was, a, he was a factor in the success we had last year. There's no doubt about that, and, and he does leave a void. So I think that's a fair question. I'm interested to see that you put that at number two. Is that, like you really have that as the second biggest question for this team?
1: Yeah, we saw how, how important field position is last year.
0: It's critical, especially when you run offense that we like to run, uh, where it's pro style, and you really want to control the ball, control the clock, and that kind of thing. Field position can be key. There's no doubt about that. All right, and so that leaves us with your number one question here for the 2018 season. What is it that you're looking at here heading into the 2018 season that you think could potentially hold us back the most?
1: Um, I really want to see how this new dynamic of co-ocs is going to work this year.
0: Interesting. That's not something I considered. Why is that such a big deal to you?
1: I mean, mean, you don't know how the play calling is going to go and everything. I mean, there's just a lot of things in the air.
0: That's true. I mean, anytime that you, I mean, we had to elevate Chaney, uh, or not Chaney, uh, James Coley, sorry, not Chaney. We had to elevate James Coley because, dude, he was going to go to Texas A&M and take their offensive coordinator job. Uh, and he's such a valuable asset to us, recruiting South Florida. I mean, there's a reason we're in it for all these South Florida guys. And yeah, Kirby Smart plays a role in that, sure. But James Coley, first and foremost, with his ties to South Florida, is a huge, huge piece of that. Uh, and so he wanted to coach quarterbacks. We, we changed it up and let him coach quarterbacks. We gave him the co-OC title. But it, it remains to be seen, like, how does the play calling – how does that shake out? Now, from what I understand, Kirby has said that, that Chaney is going to be calling the plays. But how much input is James Coley going to have on game day? And how much input is he going to have in formulating that game plan on a week-to-week basis? Those are questions we don't know. If you had to – I mean, again, this is totally just speculation here. How do you think that's going to work out this year?
1: I think you're going to see uh, Cheney really have control, but Coley, him also value Coley's input.
0: Like, I, I, I think it makes sense that James Coley is going to be a guy who has serious input on the game plan itself on a week-to-week basis. You know, breaking down the film, game planning, putting out the game plan, implementing the game plan, all of that. But I, I don't like this idea. Like, I don't think it's realistic to say that you have two guys that are going to be a like, co-calling plays on game day. Like, that just doesn't work. Now, sure, he might put some input and say, hey, you know, Jim, what, what, what about this? What, what do you think about that? But you know, like Chaney's going to be the play caller, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't see that changing. But, he, you know, James Coley does bring some experience. He has called plays before he called plays uh at miami uh he has that that office coordinator background and so he he brings a different set of eyes to the equation so it'll be interesting to see how our offense might change with him having maybe a little bit more input than he had last year to be certain he had input last year but with that co-oc title it makes sense for him to have a little bit more input than he had last year as solely the wide receivers coach interesting there all right so that's your biggest question on the year I like that. All right, so there's a couple. I'm gonna throw out here.
1: What's that? We're gonna be relying on the offense so much, especially at the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. That's then that's really fair. And that's another question. Like we just we just don't know. There's a lot of these things. That's what we're bringing them up today. We just don't know. Like we think we know a lot of these things. You hear a lot of people like there's a narrative out there. This this is gonna happen. Or that's gonna happen. But a lot of it's conjecture and speculation. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. I'm not you know saying that I'm any better than anyone else. I I certainly am guilty of that myself there's there's no doubt uh another question or two that i have here um yeah that's a great list man another question too i have i'm gonna gonna go with this one will kirby smart again be able to stave off a potential quarterback controversy is that concerning to you at all
1: of it is concerning but i think the biggest thing is uh you know, he's had, he's had some precedent. He's at least got some experience in the whole thing now. Um, I think the biggest thing is, barring injury, uh, it makes his job a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the situation is a little different than it was coming into the 2017 season with Eason and Fromm. I think Jake Fromm, after the success that he had a year ago and the success we had as a team a year ago, I think he has firmly established himself much more so in that position than Jacob Eason did in the 2016 season. Is that fair? Yeah. I think he's much more established in the success he had and the success we had as a team. So I think it's more of an uphill battle for, for Field to take that job from Fromm than it was for Fromm to take the job from Easton. I think it was just a different scenario. Uh, now, I will say Fields brings a different dimension to the table, which I think is going to allow him to get on the field in certain situations and certain packages. And if he performs really well in those situations when he does get a chance, and I firmly believe he will get a chance, he's not registering. I just do not see I – don't, I don't like to speak in absolutes – but I just don't see how this guy's in a redshirt with only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. He's going to play. I think he can help us win this year. So when he does get a chance, if he does get a chance, here I am, just you know assuming things are going to happen. But if he does get a chance this year and he performs really well in those opportunities and maybe Fromm struggles in, the, in a game or two and in that same game feels performs really well when he gets a chance, do you not think that could potentially stir up some controversy there?
1: I mean, I, let's be honest, I think this could be controversy no matter what we do.
0: There's going to be, absolutely, if like there's gonna be a segment that it's like it's like Easton and Fromm last year. There was a segment of the fan base that was all in on Jacob Easton, and there's a segment of the fan base that was all in on Jake Fromm. And no matter what you said, no matter what you saw on the field, those those two sides weren't coming off of that, you know? You know what I mean? Like, there were some that were Easton or bust, and there were some that were Fromm or bust. And there were some that were kind of in the middle of the head, I just want the best guy to play. But there are going to be some guys this year who are all about Jake Fromm, Jake Fromm or bust, and there's, he can do no wrong. And there's going to be some guys that are Justin Fields or bust, and he'll never be able to do any wrong. So there's always going to be that in the fan base. That's that's natural, and that's not just Georgia's fan base. That's any fan base. Um, but I think if he does perform – if he gets in games and you actually see tangible evidence that, hey, this guy can play – and hey, Fromm has a, has a tough game, you know you're going to hear it from the talking heads. That's what they do. They stir up controversy. All the talking heads out there, and maybe we'll do that too. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be one of those shock jocks, but there are people out there who just want to get clicks. They're going to stir up that controversy, and Kirby's going to hear it. Now, I'm not saying it's going to affect what Kirby Smart does, but he'll have to answer those questions. You better believe it. He will have to answer those questions. Like, he answered questions about Fromm and Easton all last year until finally it was just, like, obvious, okay, J. Fromm's the guy. Um, but I, I think it could— it could potentially be a distraction. It could potentially divide the locker room. But Kirby did, Kirby did an outstanding job last year handling that situation. It, he's just going to have to – I think he's going to have to do it again this year. And uh, I don't, so I don't think he – There's no, maybe we shouldn't worry about that much. He did such a good job last year. But I think it's a question that he's going to have to answer again this year at some point. I really do. And the last one – this is the question I had. You didn't mention this. This is the, For me, this was number one. And I look at it not so much from like a talent perspective and all of that. I look at it from a leadership standpoint. So many leaders departing from the 2017 squad, whether it's Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, Roquan Smith obviously defensively, Dominic Sanders back there defensively, Renzo Carter, David Bellamy. I mean, all those names, all those guys departing from the 2017 squad. Uh, Isaiah Wynn as well. Where does the leadership come from on this team? Do we have enough leadership? And I think the leadership on our team last year was one of the major keys in us being as, as successful as we were, being down like we were in the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma, be able to come back after halftime and being a totally different team. Things like that, you know, losing to Auburn, getting beat down at Auburn. But then you'll be able to come back and still find your way into the ACC title game and still find a way to win that game and get in the college playoff. Where does the leadership come from this year? I think that's so important. I mean, does that not concern you?
1: But there's obviously lots of leadership out there. I mean, offensive line, you've got Lamont Gillier who's been around. I think Baker who's at least been around for a couple of years. Um, you've got Jake Frost Baker, I mean,
0: Kendall Baker? I mean, I'm just saying upperclassmen. Sure, I mean, upperclassmen. You're sure. going off Isaiah
1: Wynn just saying that sure. he's an upperclassman more or less. I mean.
0: I but mean, you honest, you heard you heard Godwin. his name mentioned among the players, among the coaches. Right, but I'm saying you
1: also got Terry Godwin. I think the leadership thing is being over-talked a little bit too much. I mean, yeah, we had some leadership last year, but those guys that were leaderships that, I mean, you're talking about Davin Belli and people like that, they were complained as, you know, uh, bad apples the year before. So it can change. I mean, you're on, you're on defense, you're seeing it. John Lebender is going to SEC Media Days. J.R. Reed.
0: John um, Lebeder, John, I, I have no doubt. I'm totally confident with him there in that, R. In R. that Reed, role. You got
1: DeAndre Baker over there. I mean, you've got a lot of people. It's not like we don't have a classroom that have the experience that are. You're, if, you, if you're talking to people, they're already hearing how they're taking a more leadership role going into the season.
0: Okay, that and that's a that's a that's a good point because let's go back to the, like the this time last year, right? This time last year, were we saying that all those guys were gonna be major leaders or was it just because they they performed really well in starring roles for us as the yeah, season I mean, went on? it's just because they performed well I mean you heard Kirby call out uh, Sony Michelle
1: multiple times last year begging him uh, the year before begging him pe- people like him to take more of a leadership role
0: That's true. yeah, I mean if you go back to this time last year, I, I don't know if those guys were spoken about in the same vein as they were at the end of the year as the leaders, you know? Uh, I think a guy like Nick Chubb. And so, Nick Chubb was always the guy talking about. He led. He led by example, right? Uh, and so Michelle, you're right. Kirby was you know the, talking about how he, was, he really wanted him to step out of his cover box, his cover zone, and kind of take on that that more vocal role. Uh, Roquan Smith had, was a good player as a sophomore, but he wasn't the Roquan Smith we saw last year. And he wasn't you know, and Kirby talked really highly about him, but he hadn't taken on that role yet. But he did last year throughout the year. So I think mean, that's fair. Maybe it's just we we have to let those guys kind of. Jump into those roles during. Like we haven't had fall camp yet, right? So those no, guys. Okay,
1: that's okay. I think it's being overtouched.
0: It's just. Remember, Roquan Smith didn't even. He didn't practice in spring last year. So those guys have time, and I think once the season gets going and those guys step into roles and they step into starting positions for us and key roles, then then the leadership kind of takes care of itself, right? Yeah. And I, you know, you mentioned some guys like. There's guys I feel really good. About. I wasn't surprised at all. In fact, the guys that got named for SEC media days for us, Terry Godwin, offense. I saw that coming, John Ledbetter. I, that was a shoe in for me, and J.R. Reed. I, I was 100 sure he was going to be the guy, but I, I thought strongly he might be one of those guys to get taken. I feel really good about J.R. Reed. Curry's talked about him a lot, and that, from that perspective, since he's uh, coming to the program, John Ledbetter's been through the ringer, man, and this guy's come out the other side, and he he is a perfect example for this entire team. Um, you got a, a guy like DeAndre Baker as well, maybe a guy like DeAndre Walker who's been around for a long time. Then offen- I, I, offensively, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, Lamont Gilliard at center. Uh, the center kind of tri- traditionally fills that role anyway. He's kind of like the leader of the of the offensive line, and he's a senior now. you got Jake Fromm, I think, as a sophomore. He's going to feel more comfortable, and I think he's certainly going to kind of exert more of his will on that offense. Terry Godwin, of course. So I think there are some guys out there that can uh, can kind of fill that role. It's just it's just a matter of who's it going to be and will they do it as effectively as the guys did last year. So we had some really good leaders on this team. I will say – one thing that Kirby Smart does really, really well is he cultivates that stuff. Like, that is a priority for him. He doesn't just say, you know what, we'll just, we'll just, he doesn't leave the players and just say, okay, we'll just see who rises to the top. That's not what he does. He has, he has a leadership council. He cultivates this stuff. He puts guys kind of like in the hopper, he puts them uh, kind of like, all right, we had this group this year is going to be our leaders, and here's the group that we're kind of grooming to take over them. So I feel confident in Kirby kind of grooming those guys and cultivating leadership in 2018. It's just going to be different. We're just going to have to see who those guys are and how they emerge. All right, Kirk, any other questions, man, for this 2018 season? All right, I'm sure there's more out there. We, I'm sure we're missing something here, guys. So let us know what you think on Twitter if we're missing something, what you guys think. We'd love to hear from you out there with that interaction. But uh, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it, guys. We'll be back next week, continuing our scouting enemy series. We're taking a look at the Florida Gators. We're moving on down through the schedule here with our summer scouting enemy series. So check back next week Uh, for Curtis. I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, and as always, go dogs.